Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. He's alive. <laughs> All right. Well, let's turn to uh, Revelation this morning. Revelation chapter 22. We're going to read some verses from Revelation this morning. A little different uh, than what we had during the sunrise service this morning. But we're excited about what God has for us in His Word. His Word is precious. Amen. Amen. His Word is alive. And William, don't expect us to answer when we're looking for Scripture in the Bible. Again, we're to do two things at once. Right? It is for me. I don't know about you. All right. So today, uh, Revelation chapter 22, we're going to read a couple of verses uh, from the first part there. And this morning's message is entitled, No More Night. No More Night. I want you to think about what that implies right there. And, uh, you know, you may have different thoughts about that. Some of us may enjoy the night because when, when the darkness falls, it's a, it's a remembrance that, or a, a sign that the day is over, it's time to rest, can close my eyes, get some sleep, uh, and, and just forget about everything and, and go to dreamland. That sounds pretty nice right now, doesn't it? <laughs> if you came to sunrise service especially, I think. But, but one day, uh, darkness and all that darkness implies will be gone. It will be totally gone. So imagine that and think about what that means for us. And this morning, I want to make mention that in the Word of God, there is a lot of talk about place. A lot of talk about place. What do you mean by that, William? Well, Adam and Eve, think about that. Adam and Eve, they were put in a place called what? The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were put into a place called the Garden of Eden. And Remember Moses, he, re, he received the Ten Commandments on a place called Sinai, Mount Sinai. Elijah was able to defeat the prophets of Baal at a place called Carmel. And then there was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born in a place, of all places, a little dirty stable in Bethlehem. All kinds of places mentioned in the Bible. That's not a comprehensive list by any means. But there is one place that is definitely worth mentioning. and It is a glorious, glorious place that is described in Scripture. A glorious place that is described throughout Scripture. And it is a place that we have yet to see. What place could that be? I think you're right. John 14 tells us a little bit about it when Jesus said this, I'm going there. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be, may, also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So today, we know today, of course, is Easter. Today is the, del- the day that we celebrate another place. We've, we celebrate an empty place today. We celebrate an empty tomb. We celebrate an empty grave. And we rejoice in that because throughout, throughout history, the grave has been able to hold on to the people that were placed in it. But not Jesus the grave could not hold Jesus in, the gra- in where he was. He was dead. He was placed there 
but it could not keep him there. There's a picture of this in the Old Testament. You probably remember this, the story of Jonah. Jonah was, was put into the belly of the whale, and he was there for three days. And then he was spit out onto dry land. And that's a picture too, because Christ was in the grave, and forgive the terminology, but three days later he was spit out of that grave. Or he came out of that grave. And he did not stay in the grave. And he lives. And because he lives, as the, as the old hymn tells us, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. Tomorrow for some, tomorrow for some is a holiday away from work. We've got teachers in here that definitely deserve a break. Amen. <laughs> and and I, even though... A lot of teachers didn't say amen. They're feeling it. You're feeling it, aren't you? Just deep, deep down. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a holiday. But So it might be a little bit easier for those that are off tomorrow to say, yeah, I can face tomorrow. But some of us going to work tomorrow, get back into the routine. It's a little bit difficult thinking about going to work tomorrow. But we, we can understand the, the sentiment here. Because he lives, I can go on. I can face tomorrow. I can make it. I can do it. And so in Revelation, uh, we are told about a place that we're looking forward to that is going to take place in our tomorrow. And because he lives and because I trust in him and what he did, I can face tomorrow and know that one day in my tomorrow, I will be there with him. And so it's good to know, I think, about as much as you can about a place where you're going to, right? So you'll know what clothes to wear, what to pack. I don't think you need to pack. For this place. You know, when we're going on vacation, we check the weather, make sure we got the right kind of clothes. I think everything's going to be taken care of for us there. So for those of you people who get all crazy, did I forget this? Did I forget that? Did I pack enough this? Did I pack enough that? I don't, I think I remembered my toothbrush. You know, we don't need to worry about all that because it's all taken care of. And we don't get that specific in the Word of God, but we do get some really encouraging words and, and descriptions and, and things to look forward to. There's a lot of symbolism in Revelation, and sometimes it is kind of hard to understand what is being talked about and what is being explained. But what we can do, because of Easter, because of that empty place, because of that empty tomb, you and I can focus with our eyes and we can focus with our hearts on that place that those who have put their faith in Christ will one day be going to. And we're excited about that place. So let's look. Revelation chapter 22. Just going to read five verses here. And he shewed me a pure river of water of life, clear as a crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So just in those five verses, we get a glimpse of what we're going to see 
and, a, and an idea of what we're going to be doing. And even though it's not very specific, and, and sometimes we like those little details, it sounds like a really good place, doesn't it? And it's going to be a good place. And so what I want to do in uh, the time that we have this morning is to take a look at that place and see how that place is different than the, pl- than the place that we're at right now. How what we will experience there is going to be different than what we're experiencing here. And once again, all because He has risen and He is no longer in the grave. All because of Easter, we can experience and expect to experience these things one day. So what's the first thing? And the first thing is very important. And I think about the events of this past week, and we lost a brother in Christ. And it was unexpected, and there were health issues, but a lot of us have health issues. And there are a lot of, I mean, not just one, but several health issues. And some of us have several health issues. But we're, you know, expecting to be here tomorrow, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, as we like to say in this part of the country, part of the world. Uh, but but Larry, it was Larry's time to go to go home, and and in the funeral, uh, it's such a great opportunity to remind each and every one of us that we need to know, we need to make sure of ourselves. And the greatest gift that Larry was able to give his family was the assurance that when he died, he was going to go to heaven, because there's that. I'll see you again one day, thought and idea and feeling. And many people go through life without that. And if they could have anything from their loved one that has already passed on, it would be that assurance that that they're in heaven. But Larry knew Jesus, and he trusted in Jesus for that. And that was a good thing for his family. But one thing that we experience here, and sometimes it seems like it hits us a lot, and it comes in waves is death. And, you know, we, sometimes we think a lot about it, and sometimes we try not to think about it. But today we're going to talk about the fact that in heaven we will not die. There will be no death in heaven. Does that sound like good news this morning? Now, there's a couple things here on this earth that we've got to have to live. Now, some of us may say, well, there's more than a couple. I've got to have a couple. I've got to have coffee and I got to have chocolate and, you know, vacations and, and all this thing, all these things. But, but some of the most basic things that we need are water and food, right? Something to eat, something to drink. And we emphasized the importance of that this morning between services. Because we ate food and we drank drink, right? We do that. And we are very satisfied right now. And if it were any warmer in here, it would be hard to keep our eyes open. But we've got to have that. Without water, without food, we're not going to survive very much, very long. But it says in Scripture that in heaven there is a river of life. There is living water. There is a river of life. There is a fountain of water that flows from the throne of God that David talks about in Psalm 46, verse 4. He said, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And in this place that, that those that know Christ will be going to, we will have access to water that gives eternal life. Think about that. But there's also food. We, we read about some food in these verses. And there is symbolism, there is symbolism 
in these words and in these phrases, but I believe sometimes too you take things at face value and, and what's actually being said is actually what's going to be. And we, talk, we hear about food here when it says in verse 2 that on each side of that river stood the tree of life. And in the tree of life, on the tree of life, there is fruit. Now there is there's significance here because when, when we mention the tree of life, because the tree of life kind of ties everything in the Bible together, doesn't it? We, the, there was a tree of life at the beginning, and we're hearing now that there is a tree of life in heaven. So it kind of ties everything in the Bible together, and it kind of helps us to feel like and think and understand that the Bible is, is complete. The Bible is complete for us. Now back in Genesis chapter 3, I hate to bring this up, but it's important to do so. After Adam and Eve sinned, and when sin came into the picture, listen to this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what we see in that scripture is that because of man's sin, he was restricted to having access to the tree of life. And because he couldn't reach the tree of life, think about this, his body began to die. His body began to die. And God would not contend with his sinful heart forever, so he would eventually end up in that place known as the grave. No access to life, so eventually you will die, and eventually you will end up in a grave. That's this place. That's where we are now. But the place in this new place that's called heaven, the place that we can look forward to because of Jesus and because of what took place at Easter, at Easter time, which when we celebrate it, there will be no flaming sword to keep us out. But instead, right there in the center of the city, in the city of God, there is abundant fruit that is available at all times. And every single month, it is bearing fruit. There is very rich and meaningful symbolism in those, those words right there. But bottom line, what it means is, as we talked about, the fact that in this world what we need, in this place what we need is food and water. But the food and water that we have here doesn't prevent the eventuality of death. But in that place, there will be a river of life. There is the tree of life. It sustains and there will be no more death. Interesting to think about, isn't it? No more death. Who's excited about that? No more funerals. No more hearses. No more pulling off the side of the road when the funeral procession's coming the other way. You know, none of that. No more separation physically from those that we love. What else can we look forward to? What else does it tell us in this scripture? These simple five verses. It tells us this, and this is important. And this is especially important to people who understand sickness, who deal with a chronic disease or have been sick ever in your life. And I think that probably is everybody here, everybody in this place. It says that we are going to be, we are healed. We are healed. In verse 2, it says, The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That, that's, think about that for just a few minutes. Nations can be translated as meaning peoples. People. So it's for the healing 
of the people. And it means, what it means, plain and simple, is that those that get to go to heaven, those that go to heaven, will be completely and forever healed. No suffering, no sickness, no fever, no doctor, no dentist, no eye charts, no physical examinations, no uh, immunizations, uh, no tests, no MRIs. I could just go on and on and on. And if you've not had one, I'm, I'm bound to hit something that you've had done before. No more thermometers. No more thermometers to check the fever. Won't need them. It's not necessary. And why, you say, why do we know that? Why is that? Well, Isaiah 53 has some interesting words. It says, by his wounds we have been healed. So there is, there is freedom from death in Jesus. There is healing in Jesus as well. I read a story about a, a British factory worker and his wife, and they wanted children. They were so excited when they got married, and they began to talk about having a family, and they so wanted a family. And for years, they were unable to conceive until one day uh, they, they did conceive. And they had a, a child. And the, the man was, was so excited, and he would go every day and talk about how God had answered his prayers. They were going to have a baby. We're so excited to have this baby. And they made fun of him for asking God for a child. For whatever reason that people make fun of things like that, I don't know if it was, why did you ask God for a child? Is, is he involved in it in any way? And of course we know he is, because he's the creator of all life. But they just seemed to want to make fun of that. And when the baby was born, he was diagnosed with Down syndrome. So you can imagine all that the man had gone through already because of his co-workers and talking about God and how God had given them a child, and now God has given them a child that has Down syndrome. Is this child any less than any other child? Is this child just as much of a blessing as any other child? Now, we know that. But the world doesn't see things uh, like that. And so they came, they came to him after the child was born. They said, so God gave you this child. And the father stood there for a long time and he didn't know what to say. He didn't have any words. But this man, who had thanked God and praised God for this child, was given some words to say that I think were probably the best words. And I know they came straight from God. He said to them, I'm glad he gave me this child and not you. Think about that. But the story doesn't, doesn't end there because he accepted his son as God's gift to him. And he put his hope in a future in heaven for his child with the understanding that one day his son would receive a new body and he would be healed of every infirmity. And we are promised that as well. We are promised healing that only can take place in heaven because of Jesus, because of Easter. So heaven, no wheelchairs, no IVs, no, no uh, insulin shots, no blood pressure medication. Everybody is going hallelujah inside. Uh, don't have to worry about it. Don't have to worry about it. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, He rose with an indestructible body like one that we will have that will never be sick and that will never be lame. So in this place, we will have sickness 
and, and we will have death. But in that place, we will be healed and there will be no death. That's an exciting place that we're going to. Let's go forward to. Look at verse number three. We get the honor of serving and we get the honor of enjoying God. Well, William, I do that now. But it'll be different. There's differences. He says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Now I made mention of this a couple of weeks ago, and I did not mean to be disrespectful when I said it, but I said that a lot of us have the idea that when we get to heaven, it's just going to be one long church service. And, and I made the comment that that would be a little boring, wouldn't it? And I didn't mean it in the, in the aspect that, well, how boring to stand and praise Jesus all day. Because that's not what I meant. But just as He is able to surpass all of our expectations down here in this place, He will do the same for us there. And let's just, let's just think about that and talk about that for just a few minutes. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the science fiction writer Isaac Asimov. But he said these words once, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. Fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Now he doesn't understand. He's clueless, isn't he? He's totally clueless and he doesn't doesn't get it. It's been said that some people... Uh, would like to travel to heaven for the climate and to hell for the company. Now that's, that's a bad misconception as well too, isn't it? Why do you say that, William? Well, Scripture tells us that that is a place of isolation and a, a place of torment and a place of misery. And a lot of jokes have been made about hell. And I'll see my friends there and we'll just have one big party. And this is so wrong and, and so misconstrued. And they just don't get it. But when the Bible says this about heaven, when the Bible says that we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to serve the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean? How are we going to serve Him? I believe, and, I, and I, I'm kind of hoping, I guess, too, that when we get there, that there are going to be things that He has for you and us to accomplish. For you and us. For you and us. For you and me. For us. To accomplish things that he wants us to do. I have no idea what these things are going to be. I, I, I know that part of it is worship. And, and that's important that we realize that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But I believe that the idea of working in heaven just is kind of, is kind of foreign to us. Because work, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, because of sin, Adam had... Eve had to go through the, the horror of childbirth, and man has to work. <laughs> isn't, that the, isn't that the punishment for man and how we look at it sometimes? But you've got to think about this. Before sin even entered the picture, God created Adam, and he took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So work is not a bad thing. Maybe we should write that down and underline it and highlight it. Work, work is not a bad thing. It is it's actually part of the original garden. <laughs> And it was part of a perfect human life, which is what Adam and Eve had before, before sin came into the picture. And look at God. God himself is a worker. He didn't create the world and then retire, did he? <laughs> he, he, he had every right to, but he had, he had 
things to do and he had plans. Uh, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working, John 5.17 tells us. And Jesus found a lot of satisfaction in working. He said, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So I believe that we'll have work to do, but I don't think that it'll be the work that is drudgery and the kind of work that we don't look forward to. I think it's the kind of work that we look forward to getting back to. Has there ever been any kind of work like that in, in your life and in my life? Boy, I'm ready to get back to work. I think I've heard quite a few people say that. But I think we will, we will accomplish things. We will fulfill things that, that God has for us to do. And it will be all to His glory. All to His glory. And Jesus said that you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Him only shall you serve. It's interesting to note that he didn't say that we would praise and serve. That we would praise and serve. He said you will worship and serve. And I think most of us would understand that if you did any kind of word study on the word praise, when you praise, it has a lot to do with being verbal and singing. That's what, that's what praise means. But worship comes from the heart. Okay? And worship will manifest itself sometimes in praise. As I worship God, sometimes I just, a song just comes out of our mouths, doesn't it? I love you, Lord. I lift my voice. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So sometimes worship manifests itself in praise. But serving God is also worship. As we serve God, as we pray to God, as we honor God, as we spend time with God, all of these are ways that we worship. And it says that we will serve God and we will worship God. His servants will serve Him. Service is a way for us to worship Him. But in this life, it talked about a curse. It talked about a curse in that scripture. And we're not able to fully serve God the way that we can and the way that we should and the way that we will one day be able to. We can't fully serve God because of sin in this world. And in heaven, though, and in that place, we're not going to be under the curse of sin anymore. So everything that we do in worship will be, in heaven rather, will be worship. Everything that we do in heaven will be worship. And this is why the logical progression from that is to think, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to stand around all day in our white robes and strum our harp and sing songs to Jesus. And i got to tell you, some days that sounds like a good existence right there. It really does. But again, He surpasses all of our expectations. And that's just the kind of God that He is. But we will never be motivated by selfish ambition in heaven as we serve Him. What will motivate us is our love for Him, our love for God. Everything that we do will be out of love for Him and it will not be limited by the sin in this world or the sin in our life. And everything, everything that we will do, and who knows what all we will do, but I believe everything that we do and everything that we will experience will far surpass any expectation that we have here on this earth. It's wonderful to think about. It'll be wonderful beyond our imagination. So what else do we see? What else do we see in this place and that place, and how will it differ? I think we will be able to see... And this is brought clear to us in verse 4. We're going to be able to see the face of God. 
See the face of God. All through Scripture, one of the greatest desires that the people that we read about had, one of the greatest things that they wanted to experience was to be able to see the face of God up close and personal. Uh, David said in Psalm 27, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, we know that wasn't even possible because anybody that would see Him in all of His glory would surely die because His presence, we understand, would consume them. It's hard to imagine. And I know probably some of you are thinking, well, I've seen some people and it just about consumed me. I didn't think I was going to survive it. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about pure holiness and beauty and being able to see Him face to face. And I want you to think about this too, just to try to get a grasp of that. That In the Old Testament, we are told in the temple that there were two chambers. And when you first walked into the temple, there was the holy place. And this is where the priests would go and they would uh, go through a series of purifications to be able to even go into this place. And then there was a curtain that separated that room from the next one. And that next room was called the Holy of Holies. And that's the place where only one man, and that is the high priest, could enter in and offer sacrifice for the people. And it was so precarious, his entering that place, that what they would do is they would tie a rope around his ankle. And if he entered that place and for whatever reason he died, they would pull that rope and yank his body out of there because they couldn't send EMS after him because they would die too. So that's, that's the power, that's the holiness that we're talking about right there. And that's also the sinfulness of mankind. But in heaven, sin is gone. There will be no more curse. And we will see His face. And there's something wondrously personal about that, isn't there? Think about this. Um, in this day and time, we have the Internet. And a lot of people choose to use the Internet to meet people. And a lot of times when you're doing that, it's just uh, it's communication through typing. And we're getting to know people by the things that they type. And, and we may even go so far as to uh, maybe even call them up on the phone and speak to them. But eventually, eventually, <laughs> even if there's a picture that they choose to share that they have put through 50 filters and adjusted everything about their face. Even if they do that, one day you're, you're going to want to meet that person face to face. And that's when it gets personal and it gets real, right? And even though God is real and God is personal to us right now, when we get to see Him face to face, it's just a whole different level, isn't it? It's just amazing to think about in, in the book of Exodus, Moses asked to see God's face. And God basically said, I'm sorry, that's not possible. But, and you, but when you keep reading your Bible, you find out that on the other side, on the other side of the resurrection, we are told that heaven is a place where we will see the face of God. We will see the face of God. So this Easter, this, this crucifixion, this resurrection, it changed everything, didn't it? 
Has it made such a change in you that it has changed your attitude, your life, your outlook, the way you live, the way you think, the way we live, the way we think? And I want you to think about one more person. His name was Job. And he said this, Everything that he hoped for on earth was, had been taken from him. You remember that. His family, uh, his riches, his health, everything was taken from him. And this is what he said. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me, how his heart yearned within him. To see God. And I think that should be the prayer of everyone here and everybody who knows Jesus because we understand that the greatest gift that God could give was Himself and He gave Himself for us. And do you not want to see Him face to face and say to Him, Thank you. Thank you for what you have done for me. It changed everything about me, it changed everything about my life, it changed the lives of people that I know, it brought hope when I was hopeless. It brought light in the darkness. It took away guilt and shame and brought love and acceptance and grace into my life. And it changed everything. And we are completely satisfied because of that. And to be able to see Him face to face and tell Him that, how awesome will that be? What else will we see? We're we're ending, we're coming close to the end. Uh, We see in verse 4 that His name will be on their foreheads. So we're going to be His personal possessions, and there's not going to be any doubt about it. You know, here on this earth, we can walk through a street with a million other people, and it would be virtually impossible to choose who is a believer and who isn't. Even if they wear a cross around their neck and I love Jesus on their t-shirt, is that a guarantee that a person is saved? Kind of makes you wonder. Well, I'm going to tell you what. When I got married some 26 years ago, please let that be right. Right? Yes. Okay. I got a wedding ring, and I put it on my finger, and she got a wedding ring, and Sandy put it on her finger, and that let everybody know that I belong to somebody, and she belongs to someone. And that's, that's not a hard thing to understand. That's what everybody does, right? But I'll tell you what I didn't do. When we went on our honeymoon... I didn't walk out that first day with my sunglasses on, my swimming trunks on, some sunscreen across my face, and a big black Sharpie so I could write Sandy across my forehead so people would know that I belonged to her. I didn't do that. I thought this was enough. So this this idea, this idea, let let me take it a step further. Anybody that's ever traveled and flown on an airplane It's time to pick up your luggage. Let's just say that for some reason or other, all the luggage tags got ripped off. And so you're like, no big deal. I know what my suitcase looks like. And here it comes. You're getting ready to grab it. But you look three three more down the line, and there's another one that looks just like yours. And then on past that, there's two or three more. So you don't know which one is yours. And you're confused. You're like, what if I grab the wrong one? And this is terrible. Why doesn't somebody do something about this? I don't like this system at all. And that's why you have luggage tags and, and, and things like that that you put on your luggage. So maybe in light of that, it doesn't, it's not that weird to think about. In heaven, God is not going to leave any room for debate for anyone or for anything on the most visible part of your body. And I know this, you know, 
we're going with literal interpretation here. Symbolism is good as well, but on the most visible part of your body, on your forehead, is going to be written the name of God to help us to understand that we will never again have to question. We will never again be lost, and there will never be any more confusion, and we know to whom we belong. And not only do I know who I belong to, I can look at you and I can tell who you belong to. And you're like, well, William, we're in heaven. We already know that, don't we? Well, for whatever reason, this was written down. Maybe it's just to remind us that we are His. We belong to Him. And what a great reminder that is. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. My sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. And they are protected from the destroyer for good. No one can steal them from out of my hand. So we've got God's name. We've got His mark of protection. And He does that. And He does that. And He does that. Because you and me, you and I, you and us, as I said earlier, we are God's greatest treasure. You are God's greatest treasure. Now, that, that is a truth worth repeating to yourself every day that there is breath in your lungs. You are God's greatest treasure. What else can you tell us, William? I think what this scripture says to us, and this is my last point, verse number 5, no more night. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And this new place called heaven, you and I will never feel alone. We will never be alone again. We will never walk in darkness again, ever. Darkness literally, figuratively, any, ever how you want to look at it. Spiritually, morally, physically, no more darkness. No more error. No more sin. And light will be cast upon the things that we couldn't understand and that we couldn't see. Things that were obscure and that confused us will be clear to you and me. Darkness will be gone. There will be nothing but eternal light. And Scripture tells us as well that there is no need for any source of light. No batteries for those flashlights. No matches for, for candles. Here's a thought. Will all fire be in hell or will there be some in heaven too? Interesting thought. No matches needed though to light those candles. Because who will be the light? Jesus will be the light. And isn't He the light for us down here too? Think about it. When there's a question, when there's a concern, when we don't understand, when we need some clarity, who do we go to? We go to Jesus. Jesus helps to explain it. And, but you think, well, William, problems that we have in 2019 were not the same problems that they had back then. So how can words that Jesus said back then be of any use to us today? And... I'd say because they are, and they do. They are relevant, and they do pertain to what we're going through. Sometimes you've got to search a little bit, but the benefit of that is he also said, Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened. So what I think, too, is that, and I'm not real sure how this works out, but I don't know that necessarily we will understand everything in the blink of an eye and the snap of a finger Maybe progressively we will understand things. We will understand what has taken place. Maybe we'll understand more fully and more deeply this redemption plan that God came up with. 
Maybe we'll understand more completely and more fully why sin entered into the picture in the first place because there's so many questions that I know that I have and I know that you have as well. And we want to know the reasons for things and we want to know why things happened the way that they did. But you know what? If I had to go to heaven and never get the answers to those questions, it would be okay with me as well. But I think no more night can mean, of course, physically, no more night, no more darkness, but also no more wondering, no more questioning, no more overthinking and and staying awake because you're worrying, because you don't know, because what the answer to the questions that you have are in darkness and you can't figure things out. Because I think we'll know what we need to know and I think we'll understand things as we go. And so I think... As you study heaven and the Word of God, you also see, we haven't even touched on this, beauty beyond description. Even the one who wrote the descriptions of what he saw when he got visions of heaven said that they were not doing it justice. They weren't doing it justice. Now, I want you to think about um, maybe a place... We're talking about places. We started off talking about places. Think of a place where you've been and you got that look on your face, that wow look. I can't do it while everybody's watching. But you know what I'm talking about. When you had an expectation of what something would be, and then when you got there, you just couldn't help but your jaw drop and your eyes just looking over everything that you can see. and You almost stop walking because you just can't move any further you're just amazed by what you're seeing and and none that can't even compare to what we're going to see what Larry has seen I think what he's experiencing uh, it's just beyond our understanding beyond our expectations uh, unthinkable what we will see and this has been promised to us all because we believe him and we trust him and that's all it takes. It doesn't take uh, a good work every four hours. It doesn't take abstaining from profanity for a week. It doesn't take never taking a drink of alcohol, never smoking a cigarette, never taking an illegal substance, never watching something you shouldn't. You know, because sin took care of at the cross. He took care of all sin. And let me just throw this in there as a, as a sidebar. That doesn't mean that I sin as I please because it's already taken care of because that's not the way that we are to live and that's not going to give glory to God this God deserves our worship this God deserves our service and this God deserves our praise and the only thing that will hinder that or what will hinder that in the biggest way is our desire to live the way we want to live and I should be able to make my own choices and As far as I understand this, his choices for me have always been better than anything I could come up with on my own. And I know because I've tried mine. And I've tried his. And even though it may have required a little more effort or thinking or trust or faith to do it his way, the end result has always been better than anything I could have come up with on my own. So I have to believe that all this stuff that he's telling me about heaven, all these things that he's promising me, they're going to be good. 
But even the descriptions that I have are not doing it justice. No death, perfectly healed, his name written across my forehead, serving him forever, no more night. That is great, but there's more. There's more. And we are promised that all because he loves us. And the only thing that we have got to do is believe and trust in him. That's all it takes. And there are probably some of us here today that haven't done that. And we're fighting hard not to do it. We've got every excuse in the book why we shouldn't have to do it. But you are welcome, just as much as anybody else in this room is welcome, to accept what he is offering. We feel like we've got to, do, we've got to be worthy of something. We've got, to, we've got to deserve it before we can get it. That's the world's way. That's the world's economy. But the economy of the cross is, I love you. You have a need. I will die to take care of that need. All you got to do is believe and trust that that's what I did. And I am who I say I am. That's all it takes. And just leave it up to him. So we have a great place to live in right now. Because he said that even now, down here, or, or on this earth, we can have an abundant life but we can also look forward to an abundant life in heaven. Are you living the abundant life? I want everybody to stand, if you will, this morning. Bow your heads for just a moment. I asked the first service, what did you come expecting this morning? What did you come expecting today? I asked them, was it a sermon and a cold, damp breeze as you sat outside in your lawn chair? <laughs> but newsflash, we didn't stay outside this morning. But did they come, I asked, did you come expecting to encounter Jesus? When, the, when they went to Jesus' tomb 2,000 years ago, they expected to see a dead Jesus wrapped in grave clothes laying down. And what they got was a risen Savior. Again, he blew their expectations out of the water, didn't he? To the Christian this morning, to the believer, did you come, what did you come expecting to encounter today? Today we've gotten a reminder of what we have to look forward to. And in those days ahead, when things are dark and dreary and we're not feeling very good about ourselves and our situation... We can look forward to heaven and we can get excited. It is a reality. But maybe for some in here, we're just not sure. And it all sounds good. I just don't know if I'm ready to make that step yet. I don't know if I'm ready to make that decision yet. Or maybe we're at the point where we are ready and we just don't know what to do. And we don't know who to talk to. So David is going to play some music and we're going to take just a moment to give the opportunity for that one or two or whoever may need to come forward for that reason. But also, if you are a believer that just wants to come and say, God, I am looking forward to that face-to-face encounter with you in heaven. I know my life hasn't been everything it could have been for you, but your life was everything that it could have been for me. And so is your death. And I am so looking forward to seeing you.
What is your response to that this morning? to uh, have prayer and dismiss here in just a moment. Just want to thank everybody that worked in the kitchen this morning. Thank you for getting here early. Thank you for feeding us well. It's a good meal. And it was good, good fellowship. <laughs> the, smells were, the smells were good. The food was good. And, uh, and for those that helped to set up and, and to take things back down, thank you so much for your service and for doing that. Um, and thank you for being here today. And one thing I want to say about next week, or actually tonight as well, we do not have evening services. Uh, spend the rest of this day with family if you can. Um, and remember again, remember often why we're celebrating today. And then next Sunday, next Sunday night, we are having a spring in-house singing, which is something we don't normally do. So... Uh, a week from tonight, we will have that here at the church. There is a sign-up sheet in the back, and we'd love for you to sign up, and we'll have practice next Sunday afternoon. I think it's standard procedure at a Baptist church that when you have a sign-up sheet, you don't sign up till the very day, and I understand that. But, you know, uh, I would just encourage you to go ahead and do that, and, uh, and we'll just expect a great time next week as we come together. Now, if you're going to be traveling this week, be safe. We'll be praying for you to have a safe journey there and back and enjoy yourselves. And uh, just remember those of us who have to stay here and don't get to go anywhere. All right, let's get our heads. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for all the things we've, we've been able to, to talk about today. Uh, we, we are sorry for our sin. We're sorry for the mistakes that we made and the, cho- make and the choices that we make that are contrary to what you want for our lives. Uh, we, we just need to remember and we need to be reminded and we need to allow you to do that. That when temptation comes and when the opportunity to sin presents itself, that you promise that you have always provided us a way out or a way to not do that thing. Help us to remember that. And as we go through this week and if we're discouraged or perplexed, cast down, or we feel abandoned in any way, help us to remember that you are with us, that you love us, that sometimes we go through difficulties because some people in our lives may need to see what Jesus can do 
in the midst of the difficulties that we're in. So help us to just look to you and trust you no matter what life brings to us. And we pray for safety for those that will travel this week and that for those that are, are taking time off of work, that they have a time uh, to be refreshed, maybe to get things done, to spend time with family. Uh, but help us all to be thankful for each day that we're given, whatever that day brings. And we also are thankful for what you have promised us in eternity and for the things that we have talked about today that we are looking forward to. We just want to tell you now, uh, we are excited and we're so grateful and thankful. And we feel uh, so unworthy, uh, and, but yet appreciative and, and so expectant of having our expectations blown out of the water by God who does that constantly. We thank you for how you love us. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.